Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Be Bold America is a live bi-weekly talk show for those who are motivated to step out with the bold actions necessary to reunite this country, fight for democracy, and learn what they can keep doing, stop doing, and start doing to reclaim our democratic republic. Our future depends on it. Our program today is Holding Politicians' Feet to the Fire. When considering their choices, voters must consider accountability for an elected official's character and professional actions. In a democracy, it is up to a citizens to hold the politicians' feet to the fire. Citizens deserve open government, but how can that be accomplished? Politicians choose to run for office. Was their choice based on service or self-service? If the candidate is running for office to serve the people, then they should be willing to accept new ideas for a more open and transparent government. If they are in office for self-service, well, that's another thing. In addition, with the passing of the Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we'll also discuss what her loss may mean for our democracy and what it means for our democracy when Donald Trump refused to state he would support a peaceful transition of our government if he lost. A peaceful transition of government is the foundation of democracy and is the envy of many who live in autocracies and dictatorships. We have big things to do. We have two interview guests today. First is an activist whom I met several times at Penny University in Santa Cruz. Ed Fry is a local attorney who's practiced law since the late 1960s, beginning in San Francisco. He moved to Santa Cruz in 1984 and has been representing the poor and near poor ever since. Ed is a Santa Cruz community activist and ran for Congress and District Attorney each twice. He is also an active member of Santa Cruz's Penny University. Hi, Ed. Welcome to Be Bold America. It's very nice to have you on the program today. Hi, Jill. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Our second guest is Mark Carlin. Mark is the founder, editor, and publisher of BuzzFlash.com. BuzzFlash was among the first reader-powered progressive sites on the Internet. It aggressively exposes the undermining of democracy and the ongoing peril of the Trump administration. Mark holds a bachelor's degree in English cum laude from Yale University, master's degree in English from the University of Illinois, and he resides in the Midwest, which provides him with a political perspective from outside the Washington, D.C. bubble. Welcome to Be Bold America, Mark. Thank you for coming on the program again. Thank you for inviting me, Jill. It's, it's also my pleasure to have you back. And before we get going on our topics, um, I did I thought I'd ask you, Ed, did you want to say a little bit about Penny University, what it is in Santa Cruz? Uh, well, Penny University was founded by Paige Smith uh, and a couple of other uh, members of the faculty at UC Santa Cruz about 45 years ago. Wow. And we, uh, the, the Penny University has been meeting every Monday ever since. And uh, now we're doing it by Zoom because we can't all gather, you know, in a close group. So, um, but uh, the whoever's interested, it's really a discussion group. We we talk not just politics, but religion and art, and oh, there's just no limit to you know what we talk about. Well, Wonderful. I've been there a few times, and I know that it can get 
really fun. (laughs) Lots of good conversation, a lot of energy and passion. And if anybody's interested in knowing more, they can email me at bebold at ksqd.org. Mark, again, before we get going on our topics, do you want to say something about BuzzFlash? BuzzFlash was founded in uh, May of 2000, which makes it a little over the a little older than 20 years, but an interesting parallel. Uh, we lived through the election of 2000 that Al Gore won by about 500,000 votes, but lost because of a five to four vote on the Supreme Court. That That's who elected Al Gore, a uh, five to four vote. And this is what Trump is trying to do in supporting Professor Barrett, and the reason he wants her, and he said this, the reason he wants her to be voted in before the election is he wants her to be uh, one of the justices who rules on his side when he starts contesting whether votes that are received by the election but counted afterwards are valid or fraudulent. And he's counting on her to be either among a six to three or five to four uh, decision that just like with George W. Bush means that the Supreme Court would elect the president, not the uh, people of the United States. So there's kind of a bookends to our 20th anniversary. Well, I hope we've learned something from the year 2000. I hope everyone comes out to vote from every corner of the of the country. This is an existential election, and it just seems to me if Trump wins by quasi-constitutional ways, like appointing a Supreme Court justice, just for the purpose of giving him the presidency, then we've pretty well gone full-on banana republic. I mean, because, and that would be the most dangerous country in the world. We'd no longer be reliable. Um, to other countries, uh, that we have to take this very seriously. Um, Ed, any thoughts about uh, again uh, losing Ruth um, Justice Ruth Bader or Donald Trump's refusal uh, to yes. agree to a tra- peaceful transition of government if he lost? Yes, it's really a, a, a very untimely death, you might say, because it, uh, just before the election, it gives him the opportunity to pack the court. Um, and uh, there are so many things to be said about that, but I would say that the remedy for the Democrats, if he gets her appointed, so we have a, they have a strong uh, five to four, six to three majority, then the Democrats have the option of doing what FDR tried to do, which is to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court, uh, because the Constitution does not limit it to any particular number. Uh, you can have uh, 300 judges uh, if you want, but FDR tried to uh, ma- increase it to 15, and he got shot down mm-hmm. politically. But that doesn't mean that uh, Joe Biden couldn't succeed where uh, uh, where the others failed where, uh, back in the 30s. So that's that's the remedy. You've put, you know, give, make the court by legislation of the Congress. Uh, increase the number of, of justices on the court, and then with the Congress in, uh, in control of the, by the Democrats, controlled by the Democrats, then 
hopefully in the Senate especially, um, if they have a majority, they can appoint, uh, the president can appoint new and better judges, uh, better, more liberal, I should say, um, and get them approved. Well, also better with some experience. I mean, um, as far as I know, uh, Justice Kavanaugh never you know, was in trial. He never prosecuted a case. Um, Mark, would it be possible to impeach judges or divide the court into two, saying one's for civil and one's for criminal? Uh, the House would. There's been talk of uh, the House in uh, impeaching Kavanaugh. Um, I think that they are not inclined to do it because uh, Democrats have, as they should, their focus on the November election, and they don't want to detract from that. There's also been talk of impeaching Bill Barr, uh, another person who's supposed to be dispensing justice, but is actually manufacturing injustice on behalf of Donald Trump. Well, if um, Biden wins, can we do impeachment after the election? Oh, sure. I, I mean, there would be no limitations. Uh, Nancy Pelosi would, you know, have to approve it. And um, we'll see. I mean, I'm more concerned that with the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was such a inspiring justice for women and men and the poor immigrants in the United States. Uh, she was sort of like the Statue of Liberty uh, welcoming, welcoming democracy. And now we've got someone appointed who uh, believes almost in the opposite of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yes. But I'm very concerned because Donald Trump has said that he is going to depend on the Supreme Court to decide that he's a legitimate president based on this uh, issue that is uh, totally phony, that uh, mail-in ballots are somehow fraudulent. Um, but he thinks, you know, he appointed a person who's going to side with the other right-wing members of the court, and uh, he's hoping that will be accomplished. It's, it's quite worrisome. Um, but there's no other explanation for why he wants her on the court before the election. If he waited, he might actually get more people to vote for him to, who want her on the court than his people who are anti-abortion, uh, um, people who oppose the uh, Obamacare and so forth. Uh, but he wants her on before the election so she could rule on the various cases that his campaign is going to bring before the Supreme Court to nullify a, a, a likely Joe Biden victory. Uh, well, you know, she, Amy Con Coney Barrett, uh, isn't just a practicing Catholic like Joseph Biden, but is an Orthodox Catholic. Now, I understand that to be very um, on the extreme of the right. Uh, Mark, do you know more about that? Yes. She, uh, first of all, as all of Trump appointees, there's a guy named Leonard Leo, and he's head of um, a right-wing uh, legal group called um, the Federalist Society, and she's a member of that. 
And um, he is basically the person that uh, Trump goes to for recommendations. Uh, every uh, The three judges he's appointed, including Barrett, uh, all are vetted, in essence, by the Federal Society. And they're vetted to that there won't be any surprises uh, in their rulings, that they are hardcore uh, right wing. In this case, yes, she is what you might call a fundamentalist Catholic. Uh, she and her uh, husband belong to a group called People of Praise, and uh, they're not quite a secret society, but you, they're not very open to outsiders, and they believe in very, very traditional. Catholicism going back to the changes in the Vatican in the 60s when it became more secular and a little more tolerant of other religions and so forth. So she is quoted as saying uh, to a graduating class at Notre Dame where she is a professor, and, I, and to her credit, uh, she was voted three times fair to professor. I think she probably is a very sharp lawyer uh, and law professor, but she told them that they had to understand that law was just a journey to the kingdom of God. Oh, dear. So that's, her, that's her view. I think that with her appointment, we are going to see the overturn of, uh, if she's confirmed, which I believe she will be, of Roe v. Wade, and um, they will strike down Obamacare, uh, either by six to three votes or five to four. Uh, John Roberts has surprised people all times by siding with the liberals. Not often, but he's, he's done that on a few times. In fact, he did that on previous cases in relation to Obamacare. And so... Well, it's pretty, Ed, I, I need to break for um, a station identification, but we're going to get right back to you afterwards. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online from ksqd.org's homepage or catch up on previous shows by visiting the KSQD Be Bold America web webpage or through your favorite podcast platform. I'm your host, Jill Cody. KSQD thanks the following recurring donors who can who support our wonderful programs by providing monthly contributions. Michael Levy, Ronnie Lipschitz, Taylor Milne, Tracy Morgan, Pauline Seals, and Ronnie Shepard. You inspire us to give our very best here at KSQD 90.7 FM. May you also inspire others to donate on our website, ksqd.org. Today, our topic is holding our politicians' feet to the fire. We're speaking with Ed Fry, local attorney and activist, whose website is voters-intervene.org. That's voters-intervene.org. And if you're a listener and interested in uh, joining Penny University or knowing more, just email me at bbold at ksqd.org. And we're speaking with Mark Carlin, founder, editor, and publisher of BudSplash, which has been uh, watching our democracy for 20 years. You may sign up for BuzzFlash's newsletter at buzzflash.com. Uh, back to you, Ed. Um, just to finish out our, our discussion on, on 
uh, losing um, Justice Ginsburg and with Donald Trump's plans, anti-democratic plans. Ed? Yes. Um, I, I think we've pretty much covered the subject. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, a couple of Republicans or three or four Republicans in the Senate will decide that they will vote against her confirmation or against the uh, proposal to even hold hearings, but it's too late, kind of too late for that. So, But I, I don't expect uh, there to be more than two uh, Republicans in the Senate, and that's not enough to stop her appointment, so it looks pretty like it's pretty clear sailing for it. Uh, well, you know, to get to our topic, um, I just wanted to, because those things happened since we um, coordinated this interview, and I wanted to just have, um, you know, uh, get your input on, on those two fairly significant events in our country's history. So, Ed, holding our p politicians' feet to the fire, what are your thoughts on that? It's uh, not only holding our politicians' feet to the fire. It's also being able to be informed citizens, and that which is really crucial. I need we we all need to be informed, and we all and then we all need to be educated, uh, which means we have to uh, be able to understand what's going on. And the only way we can do that is to be able to hear what's going on at all times uh, with the politicians and hear what they're saying to the lobbyists and so on, and then. Be be able to hold them on, uh, uh, hold them accountable in public, like on television, on a regular, ongoing basis, every two weeks or every month. Uh, let me let me read. Just you know, Eisenhower, President Eisenhower gave a farewell address. It's very famous um, against the uh, military-industrial complex. But I, I think we all have skipped the the most important part of that speech, and he. He closed out that speech, if I could just read a couple of lines from it. Sure, please. In his closing. And he said, Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry can compel the proper meshing of the huge industrial and military machinery, machinery of defense with our peaceful methods and goals so that security and liberty may prosper together. Quote, unquote. So alert and knowledgeable citizenry means if we're going to be knowledgeable, we have to hear what's going on and know what's going on. And alert means we hold them accountable for their thoughts and actions and votes. Um, I, we all need to be better informed as citizens. <clears throat> Because, for example, when, when a, a, a lobbyist from Exxon, say, goes and calls on our Congress member, they hold a meeting behind closed doors. Now, we don't even, we citizens don't even hear about the fact that they had a meeting, let alone what they said to each other and promised to each other. Now, they're talking about public business in private, <laughs> which means we, the people, are left uh, high and dry, uninformed. We don't know what's going on until the law gets passed, and then it's too late. So we're victimized by this closed system of government that we have. Remember that the Constitution says in, in its preamble, the very first words, we the people hereby ordain and establish this Constitution. Well, if we ordained and established the Constitution, we ought to be in charge of, you know, uh, maybe modifying it in order to meet uh, current needs. So 
what, what I'm proposing is a constitutional amendment that would require two basic things. Number one, to allow the people to be fully informed about what's going on on a day-to-day basis. And number two, to have a regular ongoing uh, forum within which to hold every office holder accountable in public on television. So, first of all, staying informed. How do we stay informed? How do we find out what's going on behind closed doors? Well, you know, we hold our we, we, we require our police officers more and more now to wear cameras and microphones when they're conducting their business, which is public business. I think we should. It's time to require every office holder and every candidate for public office, for that matter, to wear a camera and microphone so that whenever they're discussing public business, we get to hear what's being said. We don't want to hear about their private stuff, but when they're talking about public business, they'd have to turn it on and... Uh, we we would thereby all the people would be informed about what's going on, what they're talking about, what they're proposing, instead of just sitting back and being totally uninformed and then surprised when the laws, new law gets passed or new regulation. Um, so, and then uh, that would be the first requirement is cameras and microphones and also all written communications about public business would have to be published um, so that whenever they write a memo or a letter or whatever to or from the congressman or, or the president for that matter, we, the people would get to read it at the same time it's, uh, that the office holder uh, or the recipient reads it. So we'd be able to uh, be totally informed. And then, um, secondly, every 14 days or every month, we require uh, the office holder or the candidate to appear on television across the table from a citizen or that citizen's appointed proxy. Um, in other words, you put your name in the hat as a citizen, you want to uh, have a conference or have a debate with Senator Feinstein, for example, all right? If your name gets picked as a citizen and you, don't, and you feel intimidated, you don't feel quite up to the, you could appoint someone to speak for you, a pundit or a journalist or a scholar, somebody like Mark Carlin, for example, could come in and with a great knowledge and debate with Dianne Feinstein or Donald Trump or Jimmy Panetta, you know, whoever, uh, every, every 14 days or every month, depending on how, uh, how often we require it. But it should be every, you know, uh, at least every month, because otherwise we're not going to be able to guide the uh, office holders to the wise policy choices that we need to. So that that's the basic program. It's very simple, and I've drafted a proposed constitutional amendment, be the Twenty Eighth Amendment to the Constitution. It's called Open and Accountable Government. It's real simple. And that's on voters-intervene.org. I saw that you modeled that with a letter to Jimmy Panetta, and then I guess his response back, so that people can read uh, both sides when uh, right there on the internet. No, that's not Jimmy. Panetta. Oh, not Jimmy. Oh, to, Leon. I wrote to Leon. Leon. Because, yeah. Because I had Sorry. something very much in mind. Leon Panetta, of course, is head of the Panetta Institute, which is uh, devoted to uh, seeking better government. 
And so I uh, raised the subject with him as, don't you think it would be a good idea if we had this open and accountable government and passed this amendment? And I spelled it all out in great detail and told him what it's all about. And, and then I said, wouldn't it, in fact, have been have led to better policy choices way back when you were uh, just in the Congress and then were transitioning up to the White House, the Office of Management and Budget, when Bill Clinton appointed you in uh, January of, uh, or February of 1993, and, and then Sam Farr was elected to take his place. Well, here's, here's what I'm talking about specifically. Leon Panetta at that time had been uh, in conversations, private conversations, of course, with the uh, uh, the uh, mucky mucks from the uh, strawberry industry, the agribusiness folks, the guys who make the, the uh, Driscoll, in other words, uh, the guys who make multi-billions of dollars from the strawberry growing. Well, strawberry growers wanted to be able to use methyl bromide but they were prevented by uh, what was called the Montreal Protocol, which was a treaty entered into uh, during the Reagan administration worldwide. Every nation in the world uh, joined this treaty. <clears throat> it's the most uh, widely adopted treaty in the history of the world. And the reason why methyl bromide was uh, prohibited uh, all around the world by this treaty is because, well, for several reasons. First of all, it eats up the ozone layer. Methyl bromide is a gas. It's a very highly toxic, very, very super poisonous gas. And, and it also is, uh, messes up with the, messes with the climate. So it's a climate destroyer. It's an ozone layer destroyer. And it's a destroyer of people and plants and animals because it's so poisonous. So it was included worldwide, banned in the Montreal Protocol. Well, like I said, uh, Leon Panetta uh, was in uh, secret negotiations with the strawberry growers in 1993. They wanted an exemption from this treaty so that they could use methyl bromide uh, in, in growing strawberries in Pajaro Valley and Salinas Valley. And uh, so... Leon Panetta did, did them a favor. He wrote a secret memo to Sam Farr, his incoming successor, and he told him, Sam, in essence, I, I, I don't have the text of the memo, but it must have read something like this. Sam, our friends in the strawberry industry have a great desire to maximize their quarterly profits. Now, it's, you can make a profit growing strawberries conventionally or organically, but these guys want to maximize their quarterly profits. So they need, to, in order to do that, they need methyl bromide. So, Sam, go to bat for them, will you? Get them exempted from the Montreal Protocol so they can use that stuff. Well, Sam did, it, did his bidding. He uh, went to the proper authorities and as a congressman and wrote out a, an application for an exemption. And the rationale for the exemption was maximization of quarterly profits. And it was approved. So <clears throat> the... Uh, the strawberry growers started using it again, and in the in the process, they poisoned thousands of farm workers, 
farm workers' wives, farm workers, women farm workers who were pregnant. They started having babies that were low birth weight babies. The uh, methyl bromide uh, escaped from the fields and migrated over to the homes in the in the Pajaro Valley and Salinas Valley and the schools. And the school teachers finally started asking each other, what's going on? Our, so many of our students are coming up with all these terrible symptoms all of a sudden. And they figured out what's going on, and they started complaining about it, trying to do something about it. And the school district, which was also under the thumb of the strawberry agribusiness growers, um, the school district uh, superintendent clamped down silenced everyone. Don't talk about this. So the use of methyl bromide went on and on and on for decades, about 25 years total. And, you know, it's, it's just... Uh, so I want to be able to say to Leon Panetta, uh, Mr. Panetta, you took a great big chance with the ozone layer. You took a great big chance with the climate. And you also took a great big chance with your former uh, constituents in your district here, and you poisoned a lot of them. The University of California, Berkeley School of Public Health came down here, and they did a study, a field study, and they found that low birth weight babies among the women who worked or lived right near the fields where methyl bromide was used. Because even though they cover up the fields with plastic, it escapes. It's a gas. It escapes. That's what gases do. And it uh, migrates uh, depending on the, how, which way the wind is blowing. And so all of this, uh, and, and so this low birth weight babies means that they have lifelong uh, consequences, health consequences. Mm-hmm. So look what Leon Panetta has done um, to so many people and and threatened the ozone layer and threatened the environment all with a secret memo now if the law at the time had required that all memos regarding public business be published which is what our new amendment would do then we would know what was going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually what would have happened such memos had to be published is leon panetta probably would have said are you kidding i'm not going to send a memo like that what, what if my constituents read it? So it's an astounding this is kind of dirty business that yes, closed doors. It's an astounding, astounding story. And again, it's time for a break. But I wanted to also add that I remember Dick Cheney had that energy meeting at the beginning of the Iraq War, and to this day we don't know what was said and the the energy barons that were there. So um, after the break, uh, Mark, I'm going to come back to you about thoughts on all this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Our topic is holding our politicians' feet to the fire. We're speaking with Ed Fry, local attorney and activist, and his website is voters-intervene.org, and Mark Carlin, founder and publisher of BuzzFlash.com. 
Buddhism, Judaism, Baha'i, Islam, Christianity, Hinduism. Sound interesting? Faith Matters is a unique bi-monthly program that explores spirituality, life, and meaning with local religious leaders. We discuss areas of common ground and also identify distinct differences among diverse spiritual perspectives. Join us on the second and fourth Sunday evening of every month from 6 to 7 as we have thought-provoking conversations about Faith Matters on 90.7 KSQD. Now, back to our bold and impressive guests, Ed Fry and Mark Carlin. Mark, um, you've been listening to Ed talking about uh, his ideas to uh, make um, politicians more accountable and keeping their feet to the fire. Your thoughts? I want to commend, first of all, Ed, for his work, because I think this is essential. I, I, there's always a struggle between we the people and the people we elect. Once they're elected, uh, they want to keep as much information as possible from the public. And there are, in different uh, municipalities, states, the federal government, certain recourse to obtaining information, uh, depending upon the level of government in the individual jurisdiction. I mean, the federal government... Uh, there is recourse to the Freedom of Information Act, also called FOIA requests. But then again, many people who seek information under FOIA either don't get the information or they get highly redacted information back from the government. Uh, so I think it's very important, and I think as Ed has done, it needs to be spelled out because if you leave any leeway, uh, the elected officials are going to take advantage of that or uh, people who are in high levels of appointed government. Um, just before this broadcast, I don't know if you're aware of it, Jill, and Ed, uh, mm. the New York Times has gotten a hold of 20 years of income tax. I did just see the highlight of that. Right. Tell us more. Well, the New York Times, got they, they don't disclose by whom, but from some source, they've got 20 years or more of income taxes by Donald Trump. These have been the taxes that have been the subject of requests that he released since he started running, and he's constantly said, oh, I can't release them because I'm under audit and giving all sorts of excuses. But as it turns out, this is why we need transparency. I mean, I think in this amendment, there should be a requirement that anyone who runs for office must turn over their tax filing to the IRS for a given number of years, whatever that may be. But what the New York Times has found out is is absolutely staggering. Um, Ten of the past 15 years, um, Trump has paid zero in income tax. Um, they, two, he did start to pay when he uh, became president, but for two years in a row, he just paid $750. Uh, the dispute that he refers to with the IRS is one year he claimed he lost so much money, and, and these taxes show that he's a, a fake billionaire. He's $300 million in debt, uh, and the debts are coming 
um, to fruition fairly soon. He's going to have to find a way to pay them back. Um, and that's one of the reasons that the New York Times speculates that he's been grifting so much on the U.S. taxpayer with stays at his resorts, his D.C. hotel, and things of this nature. But he, the IRS gave him a one year, or several years back. He, he had the audacity to request a $73 million uh, refund from the IRS because of his losses that year. And the IRS has been investigating him for fraud, that this may have been obtained fraudulently. And um, if they make that funding, he'll also have to pay interest on what he owed in terms of this uh, $73 million refund when paying it back to the government. Uh, so he would owe, owe approximately $100 million to the government. But this is uh, absolutely uh, shocking and stupefying um, article. I encourage all your listeners to look at the New York Times. If they only have a subscription, it's now on CNN and the Huffington Post and uh, just about any news outlet in the U.S. because um, this is going to make a lot of working people very angry who pay their taxes even if they have low wages. And you've got a grifter who's head of the government who's uh, grifting off the taxpayer and hasn't paid any tax in ten of the last 15 years. Um, so I think transparency is very important because people needed to know that before the election in 2016. And um, Hillary Clinton had released her taxes. Um, Joe Biden has released his taxes. Uh, Bernie Sanders released his taxes. But Trump won't, and he, he kept saying, well, I'll be doing that, but I've got this audit, and you, the one rule the audit is you can't release your taxes, which is not true, by the way. He just made that up. But transparency is essential to government. Um, the body cameras that uh, Ed mentioned, uh, many of these police killings unjustified of primarily black males, but um, uh, also uh, females. We only, it's not that these haven't occurred before, but we're only aware of them now because of body cams. And particularly if you look back at the uh, Floyd killing in Minneapolis, we really were only aware of that both because of body cams and because of uh, passers-by who made videos on their camera phones. Um, and I, I think that the more transparent the uh, government officials can be, the more honest and effective government that we will have. And uh, so, therefore, I'm very much in support of what that is proposing, and I think it can only improve the quality of our government. Those who are elected officials are going to resist as much transparency as they're asked to give. They're going to try to push it back. But... Uh, the only reason they want to do that is to hide things they don't want the public to know. And 
ipso facto, therefore, we should know that. <laughs> well, also, uh, when you're talking about the taxes, one of the things that Donald Trump has shown in our democracy is that we really operate primarily on democratic norms and traditions and values and democratic principles. And then comes the law. I mean, you can't make a law for everything. So you have to trust somebody has character and integrity and knows what democratic norms are, such as releasing uh, your taxes if you're running for president. There's no law requiring that, as he's pointed out. And I would think Joe Biden, um, if he becomes president, uh, will have to fix many areas of this of our democracy because he's just blown holes into um, all the things that we operated that were basically uh, based on trust. And if you're not trustworthy, uh, such as Donald Trump, then it's, you know, it, it's all for nothing. Also, um, Ed, I wanted to get back to you, but I wanted to say when I was read first, when I first read your, your, um, you know, ideas of accountability, like wearing cameras and microphones, I just thought at first, boy, that sounds too much. That sounds a little crazy. And then I started thinking about it more and more and and came to the conclusion that what we have now isn't working. <laughs> it's not enough. And we do have to start thinking about um, uh, what we could do differently. And I don't know that asking, having a um, you know, a lottery, if you will, of, of citizens that would sit down on television and meet uh, uh, with our with their elected representative isn't too much different than jury duty and developing a, a system around that. And so um, I just wanted to let you know my own changing of my mindset on it that... Um, uh, you know, of of realizing that we need to do some extraordinary things in these extraordinary times. Um, Ed? Yes, thank you. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly, of course. And uh, I wanted to uh, point out uh, about the Barack Obama uh, campaign when he was first running for office in 2008. Um, he, um, he would say over and over again at every campaign whistle stop, he would say, I want to not only get us out of Iraq, I want to change the mindset that got us into Iraq. Whoa, good. I mean, I voted for him because I thought that meant we're going to have a national dialogue on militarism, finally, in this country. Well, um, as we all know, uh, there was no attempt, no further attempt uh, by President Obama to bring about such a dialogue. In fact, he went the opposite direction in many ways, and I don't want to get into all of his military adventures, but they weren't as dramatic as George Bush's, but they, um, they continued, they were a continuance of the uh, military-industrial complex, and uh, he encouraged lots of massive sales of weapons and so on. However, <clears throat> in 2011, uh, when uh, Hosni Mubarak was being threatened by these massive demonstrations in Egypt, and everyone turned to the United States, because this was a very dramatic moment, as it turned to the United States, the leader of the free world, to see what our government would say, what our president would say. Well, President Obama hesitated for quite a, quite a long time. Finally, he went on television and he said, and I quote, Mr. Mubarak, what you should do is establish a dialogue between the citizens and the government of Egypt. 
Excellent. Excellent idea. So let's have a dialogue between the citizens and the government of this country, because now we need it more than ever, because all of the divisiveness has been created recently. And then uh, all, the, uh, all the hatred between groups, this is a way to build, if we have uh, a national conversations that everybody can listen to and participate in on an ongoing basis, that will take the place of street demonstrations. These street demonstrations are proving to be really dangerous, and they're getting more and more ugly and, and violent. We need, we need to have a public forum uh, so that we can all, all get our points of view expressed in a rational and civil way. And this would be the way to do it. Uh, I need what, to what take... A way, just, what a way to build a sense of national community and local community, by the way, because this, would, this, would, uh, this amendment to the Constitution would require not only federal office holders, but also state and local office holders to do the same thing, wear cameras and microphones and appear on TV every month. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then we, we, we'd all be able to develop a sense of community, both local and national and statewide. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Listen to the show worldwide online from ksqd.org's homepage or listen to the show's podcast at ksqd.org Be Bold America webpage. KSQD thanks attorney Ned Hearn for supporting this program. Ned Hearn specializes in intellectual property and business law with a focus on entertainment, internet, and computer software business and their convergence, intersecting content, media, and technology in the digital environment. More info at www.internetmedialaw.com. Thank you, Ned Hearn, for supporting KSQD 90.7 FM. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM. Weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman. Weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it. Today, our topic is holding our politicians' feet to the fire. We're speaking with Ed Fry, local attorney and activist, and Mark Carlin, founder and publisher of BuzzFlash.com. So this is the section where, we, where I like to talk about what listeners can keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. So Mark, um, going to you, any uh, additional thoughts from our conversation and then ideas on what listeners can do in this area? Well, I, I think uh, people can go to Ed's webpage and sign up and uh, support his efforts. I also think that uh, people need to know that they don't need to be always cynical about contacting an elected official. Actually, elected officials have uh, people keeping tracks of uh, positions on uh, issues and things of this nature. But I, I do think that if someone is getting the runaround um, and 
the elected official or government official they're trying to get information from is not being transparent, that that person uh, should make an issue about it and uh, just not just let not let it go that, that people need to be forceful in holding our government officials uh, accountable and I think sometimes people uh, just give up but I do think as Ed has been suggesting it would be better if the transparency requirements of elected officials government police officers and so forth uh, are codified that uh, they're, they're written into law. So the um, people who are responsible for transparency uh, will be violating a law if they become opaque and uh, not offer the uh, information that is being sought. Um, I think that's just good standard practice. And I don't think that people have to, should have to, as they do now, uh, put so much energy into getting uh, what is the people's information from uh, government officials. Well, and um, I also, when I, I worked for several cities in the Bay Area and staffed commissions, and when we were looking at a new commissioner, there was one of my chairs of the of one of the commissions taught me that there's a difference between service and self-service and a commissioner that was there to serve the public to serve the cons the the mission of what that commission was um uh, gathered to do was a really good commissioner, but those that were there uh, for self-service, uh, they had a personal agenda, wanted on their resume, or uh, didn't fit in the group at all. And I think we don't ask our politicians why they want to be a politician. You know, we often talk about what are you going to do, but why? I think we need to to figure out even before we elect them if they're going into it for ego and self-service or to really understand, you know, their role in the functioning of we the people. Uh, Ed, uh, your thoughts? And by the way, yes, I think um, we hear your chair squeaking. I didn't say it earlier, but <laughs> just letting oh, you know. Sorry about that. I'll stop. <laughs> okay. Yeah, here, here's what I would suggest. Rather than do what Mark suggests for, with my website, I, I'm, I'm not a, a, a national organizer. I, what I think is, is people should read the website and then take action themselves in their own local districts, wherever they are, um, and, and make the... Uh, candidates before the election day take a stand on this open and accountable government proposal to amend the Constitution. Do you or do you not support open and accountable government, you should ask them. And if they say, well, what does that mean? You say, well, read the proposed 28th Amendment to the Constitution. It's right there at this website. So do act locally. That's really the way to do it. Don't. I, I don't have any way of uh, receiving people's messages and sending out advice on here's what you should do. People figure it out themselves. The, the, the citizens need to take the initiative on their own, wherever they are. Um, they should make these uh, various candidates take a stand, yes or no. Do you or do you not support uh, open and accountable government? Now, I did that locally here in the race for 
uh, county supervisor in, the, I believe it's the first district here in Live Oak. Um, it's either the first or the third. I, ne- I never keep that straight. Where uh, there's a very hot race between John Leopold, the incumbent, and Manu Koenig, um, a newcomer. So I wrote to them both and said, how do you stand on this? Here's the proposal. What do you think? Um, so Koenig writes back and said, um, I think it's a compelling idea. This camera and mic would be whenever someone is conducting public business. Quote, uh, question mark. Uh, he was asking a question. How will it be enforced? So I wrote back to him and I told him the Congress will have the power to write the, right, the regulations that would control the operation of the system. You don't want cheating and so on. But then John Leopold um, answers this way, and I quote, I support open government and transparency. I do not think it is realistic to require microphones and cameras everywhere since so much is already publicly available in terms of correspondence, texts, calendars. I would instead continue to push for meaningful restrictions on financing, as that is really the biggest problem with politics. Well, I agree that financing is, uh, campaign financing is a big problem, but this system, if it's put into place, the system I'm proposing would largely neutralize the power of money in politics, because if Exxon's lobbyist is going to, uh, Exxon is not not going to send a lobbyist in to meet with a Congress member if, if their conversation is going to be recorded uh, and put up on the Internet. Um, and they're not they're 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 not going to be able to send money to politicians and uh, hope for um, the best outcome because all correspondence is going to be uh, public correspondence from now on if it's adopted, etc. So this is a way to just cut the uh, feet out from underneath the uh, campaign finance problem. And we need ideas like that. That's true. And what you're talking about, every individual uh, doing this on their own in their own districts and, and areas, is we've got to tell people to take their power back. We've had decades of the message that um, your vote doesn't count, the one person can't do anything, and people have just given up. And in fact, I've found it's the opposite. One person can do a lot. Um, and and they just need to be told to take their power back. Uh, you were going. We also talked once, um, Ed, that about the Brown Act. Was did you take a look at that and see if there was any in California? There's we have the Brown Act, which also is an example of op- open government. I didn't know if that was something no. that could be replicated. I did take a look at it, and I've heard about it over the years. The Brown Act essentially is um, window dressing for uh-huh. open and accountable government. Uh, what it requires is notice of public meetings if the meeting is uh, going to have uh, a majority of the legislative body where they receive information or discuss views on an issue. In other words, people have to know that this meeting is going on and be able to attend but that's just meetings, you know, mm-hmm. between uh, uh, politicians. It doesn't cover conversations between mm-hmm. lobbyists, which is really crucial. Ed, just we, I have one more minute in the show, and I wanted to check in with Mark. Uh, any last thoughts, Mark? 
I agree with Ed. We we tend to become passive as a population and uh, docile, uh, particularly after four years of Trump, uh, and people feel uh, powerless. But this is a democracy, and as Tom Hartman says, Tag, you're it. You're the person that's going to change things. Make that decision today, and together we can once again have a vibrant democracy if everyone accepts that challenge. And as uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, and I think Tom does too, despair is not an option. I so enjoyed this conversation uh, we had. Thank you, Ed, for coming on uh, the show. And, Mark, thank you again for returning. I want to thank uh, Be Bold America's program engineer, Emily Donham, and give a, another huge uh, thank you to our bold guest, Ed Fry, his uh, website, voters-intervene.org, and Mark Carlin's website is buzzflash.com. If you're interested in Penn University, email me at bebold at ksqd.org. Next on Be Bold America, our interview guest will be the election whisperer. Wish you had a crystal ball to tell you what happens, what will happen on November 3rd. Who will win? Who will lose? What states will be in play? Will democracy live or die? Rachel Bittekoffer is a nationally recognized election forecaster and a senior fellow at the Niskanen Center in Washington, D.C., where she conducts pro-democracy research. Rachel's work appears in a variety of the nation's leading media outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, Politico, The Guardian, MSNBC, and she was also on Real Time with Bill Maher. And she's uh, been guests of, in, on prominent podcasts such as Rumble with Michael Moore, and the Michael Steele podcast and Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart. Just to name a few, she is also the host of her own uh, podcast, The Election Whisperer. So join me on Sunday, October 11th at 5 p.m. to hear The Election Whisperer, what she'll say about uh, November 3rd's presidential election and the fate of our democracy. Want to listen to a program later? Find the Be Bold America podcast on KSQD's website or subscribe to your favorite platform. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz, many voices, one station. Listen worldwide, online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Faith Matters with Seth Shapiro. My name is Jill Cody, and thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start.